Good morning. Today we'll be reading out of Psalm 78, uh, beginning in verse 1. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God, and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Well, uh, I hope you'll keep Psalm 78 open today. We won't be able to read the whole psalm. There's, I think, 72 verses in it, but uh, we will dig into a good number of them. So will you join me in praying, asking for the Lord's help in hearing his word, that when we hear it, we might uh, respond in the way he wants us to respond. Let's pray. Father, you, when you speak, the worlds were formed. And I pray, Lord, that as you speak again this morning, we would hear your word above all the others, and through the grace that your Holy Spirit brings, we would have faith to believe what we hear as the truth and as the words of life, and then we would have the strength to respond and even the desire to respond and obey you. We pray all this because we want our lives to bring much, much glory to Jesus Christ. We want him to be glorified in us and through us, and so we ask for your grace and your help this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. With every generation, and that really is kind of the theme of these messages, with every generation, some things get passed along. And often, I mean, it's physical things, but it's, it's much more than physical things. Other things get passed along. Certain practices and certain traditions get handed off from one generation to another, and, and memories are passed along, and even sometimes the quirks that make all, all of us special or irritating or anywhere in between, those things get passed along as well, right? These things get passed on one generation to another. And what we've been thinking about, what we've been looking at is What will it mean for us to take our faith and pass that on to another generation? What will it mean for another generation to come behind us and for them to be walking with the Lord, for them to be faithful to the Lord? And last week we looked at Psalm 145. And as we looked at Psalm 145, actually it parallels a lot of what Tyler just read a moment ago. Because so much of it is talking about taking this faith we have and transferring it, passing it on to another generation. And and I, I hope... We learned some things. If, if you weren't here with us, kind of this is the way we summarized a good bit of Psalm 145, that a core components of passing our faith on to another generation, core components of that will be having a deep personal encounter with the Lord. And it has to be connected to a much larger story. So in both those things, what we're talking about is a relationship with God that is real It's not just kind of make-believe. It's not just ritual that you go through. It's something very, very real. 
that's connected to this much larger story. It's big. I mean, it, it expands to eternity, the story that we're living a very small part of right now. And then it gets verbalized publicly and continuously. It gets passed on to another generation. And, and with all that in mind, I want us to dig into this psalm that we just read the first portion of because Psalm 78, what's interesting to me about this, how, how it differs a little bit from Psalm 145 is that Psalm 78 gives us a glimpse into what happens if the transfer doesn't go well. If, it, if the faith that one generation has isn't transferred well, isn't passed on, kind of gives us a glimpse into case studies, if you will, of where, where it goes wrong. So it's almost as if we have like our, a spiritual home inspection. And, and it's as if Psalm 78 can point out, and, and there's many of these in the psalm, we'll only look at a couple of them, but many places where like there's cracks in the foundation, and because there are cracks in the foundation, some things aren't going to get passed along. Or or Psalm 78 can function to us like a, a dashboard and, and there are these lights that come on like check this, check engine. And oh, there's some of those that you dismiss pretty easily and you go, yeah, that thing's been on for five years. It's, it's not really telling me anything. I don't know. It, it'll be fine. But there's sometimes when that check engine light comes on and you ignore it and you dismiss it, you do so at your own risk and it may leave you stranded at the worst possible moment. So when Psalm 78 tells us about things to guard our heart, to pay attention to, so that one generation can faithfully transfer some things to another generation, we ought to listen and be ready to hear. See, it it begins to to go off the rails. Look at Psalm 78, and again, if you have your Bibles there, verse 8. It's like the whole goal of passing on all these sayings and these testimonies and these parables and this wisdom and this instruction in the law The whole goal is that they should not be like spiritual forefathers. A stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart wasn't steadfast, whose spirit wasn't faithful to God, that they would not be like the Ephraimites. Here's one example. They were armed with the bow, but they turned back on the day of battle. And then notice these words, because I want to zero in on these in verse 10. They did not, they did not keep God's covenant. So here's this select group of people and, and they did not keep God's covenant and they refused to walk according to his law. They forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. You see, passing on the faith is jeopardized when keeping covenant is not a priority. When keeping covenant, this said the, the, the people of Ephraim didn't keep covenant with the God, when, when that's not a priority, passing on the faith is jeopardized. Now, the word covenant, certainly if, if, you, if you haven't grown up in church, but even, even if you have, it's, it's maybe a word we're somewhat familiar with, but not totally familiar with. And at the risk of oversimplification, all a covenant is, is this binding agreement or binding promises between two or more parties. So there's this agreement that's entered into between two people. Most of the time in the Bible, the, the covenant is God with people. God with individuals or God with a whole group of people. And, and, and this is the covenant. And God makes a binding agreement with people. The Bible regularly speaks of covenant. But what does it mean to actually keep covenant? There's one thing to, to make a covenant. But what does it mean to keep it? 
And how will we know if we are like those that actually are not keeping covenant? I think if we get the picture of marriage, it helps us. Because the, the, word, the word keep in, in reference to a covenant means to, to guard it, to treat it as valuable. To, to treat it as something that should make your life conform to the fact that you're in a covenant relationship. So again, you think of marriage and it's that binding agreement. It's a set of promises that are made. And because that agreement has been made, that binding covenant has been made, then there's a life that is lived in response to that. There, there's faithfulness that's expected out of that because of loyalty and out of love that's expected. So to keep the covenant of marriage, that means you are giving attention to it. You're being faithful to the vows you made, the promises you made. There are things you avoid. There are things you do. You live each day in in light of the promises you made. And, And that's much like the covenant we have with the Lord. What does it mean to keep the covenant? As we hear these words, for the people of God, as part of the covenant with God, we have responsibilities. So one of the ways we know we are keeping covenant with the Lord, we talked about this just a moment ago, that deep encounter with the Lord. We have a responsibility as part of our covenant, as part of our binding agreement with the Lord. We have the responsibility to continually pursue intimacy with and loyalty to the Lord. That's why one of the supreme commandments that we're given, one of the supreme instructions we're given is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. So God's not interested in mere formalities. God's interested in your heart, in keeping covenant with him, being loyal to him, to walk in his ways, to seek to know him, And one way we know where we're not keeping that covenant with him is when instead of loving him with all of our heart, we begin to fake it. And there's nothing worse to to pass on to another generation than hypocrisy. There's nothing worse than verbalizing like, I I am all in for the Lord, but yet someone sees our life and it's, it's just filled with pride. No one can tell us anything. Or it's filled with discontent and we're never really pleased with what God has given us. Or, or there's no measurable progress in our peace and our patience with others. And so we, we hear someone verbalize that they, they, they're really trusting in the Lord or they have a walk with the Lord. But if, if you see the opposite, if you see them kind of faking it and there, there's no humility about their life, then you're going to wonder, is, there this real, are, is this what it's all about? Or are they really being faithful to that? Our covenant with God was something that meant was meant to lead our hearts to trust in him. We know, we know God doesn't break his covenant with us. So it's meant to lead us to say, I will walk with you. I will be faithful to you. Even as we sung a moment ago, I will stand for you. I'll keep covenant. Part of that covenant keeping is intentionally remembering. So over and over again in the Psalms, twice in this psalm that, that I noticed, perhaps more. Psalm seventy-eight, eleven. it says, these people that were the stubborn and rebellious generation, they forgot his works. They didn't remember the wonders that he had shown him. Psalm 78, verse 42, verse 43. 
It says they didn't remember. Verse 42, they didn't remember his power. They didn't remember the day when he redeemed them from the foe. They didn't remember the day when he performed his signs in Egypt. And there's always spiritual danger in forgetting. And if we forget, it doesn't get passed on. I, I, I can look back at my life and I mean, how many things are things that have just faded into the background that I don't remember? How many things, if you ask me, what happened when you were 10? Do, do I, I have no clue, can't remember. Sometimes even 10 days ago, I, 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 it's hard to remember. How many of these things will just fade off into our memory, maybe deep, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll never bring it up again? And how dangerous it would be if our walk with God was one of those things that just over time began to be diminished and diminished and further and further away. This encounter with him, this love that we have toward him, how, how terrible it would be if this just went further and further back to where it had no discernible impact on our lives today. Don't forget, could we be in danger of forgetting who we actually made, who we have this covenant with? This is the God of all might, the God of all power, the God of all glory, the God of all grace. What if we forget that? What if we forget why the covenant was made to begin with, why God initiated the the covenant relationship with, with sinners like us in the first place? What if we forget how deeply in need of rescue we were, how deeply we needed God's mercy to come to us? What if we forget that? What if it It's been a month since we've thought about that or or a year since we've really been affected by that in our hearts. How how difficult it'll become if we forget. What if we forget what he did in sealing that covenant, the love in action when we were delivered and provided for and guided and, and the Lord's been faithful? What if we become like those in verse 22 that it says, yeah, they they didn't believe in God. And they didn't trust his saving power. What if your name was filled in there if Curtis did not believe in God and Curtis did not trust in his saving power? Despite God showing all this grace in verse 32, in spite of all this, they still sinned. Despite his wonders, they didn't believe. What are you going to do to make sure that, first of all, you don't forget? And what are, what are you going to do to make sure those closest to you, those around you, hear the story? Hear what God has done for you. Hear you declare the awesome deeds of the Lord. That's why last week I encouraged you, I'll I'll encourage you again this week. Could you please take a few moments and write down some of the defining moments, write down a little bit of your spiritual biography. Maybe it's not 40 pages long, but maybe it's, maybe it's just even four bullet points where you just saw the Lord work. You saw him move in discernible ways. Shouldn't, shouldn't the people closest to you, shouldn't your friends know that? Maybe you have a niece or a nephew that needs to hear that. You certainly have children, if the Lord has given you those, and grandchildren that need to hear those stories. And maybe, yeah, maybe it seems awkward to share. Maybe they really have no time for all things related to God and Jesus and his word. But still, isn't it worth you saying, this matters to me? This changed my life. Isn't it worth it you telling them like there was this point in time where you were walking away from God and God rescued you or this time where you were broken and the Lord healed you? where the Lord restored you, isn't that worth taking a moment and passing that on to another generation so that we might not forget, so that we might remember this keeping of covenant is a priority. And I just want to urge, 
I want to urge those, especially those that are senior adults in our congregation. So I'm going to let you classify yourself wherever you might fall on that. But if you classify yourself as maybe a person that has less life in front of you than behind you, and you begin to think about that, what do people need to hear? This is why I love Psalm 71. So maybe just make a note of that and, and you can come back to it at a later time. But Psalm 71 talks about this person who's really known God since, since a child. So there's places where I, I certainly can relate to this. It says in Psalm 71, For you, O Lord, are my hope and my, my trust in verse 5. Even from my youth, upon you have I leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. And my praise is continually of you. And so here's a person that's up in years saying things like this in verse 14. I will hope continually and I will praise you yet more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts. I'm not just going to kind of let my life fade off. I actually want to be more intentional. I want to tell of your deeds and of salvation all the day. Their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I'll come. And I'll remind them, I'll remind all generations of your righteousness, yours alone. And I love this. So God, from my youth, you've taught me. And I will proclaim, I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hair, oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. And I pray that Ogletown might have those, that, that kind of impulse that even, even as you get older, you, you don't want time to pass without others hearing. This is how God worked in my life. This is where God was faithful. This is where God moved. This whole idea of keeping covenant it matters even especially on a Sunday like today where we're, where we're observing the Lord's Supper. The Bible is filled with covenants and, and much of the first part of the Bible is about what, what's called the Old Covenant or the Old Testament. But then Jesus comes and on the night that he would be betrayed and tried and before he would go to the cross, he sat down with his followers with a meal and he says, I am, I'm instituting a new covenant a new covenant that's going to be sealed in my blood. I'm making another binding agreement, binding promises with you, my people. And so my body will be broken and it'll be broken for you. And my blood will be shed and it'll be shed for you. And Matthew tells us that Jesus said, this will be for the forgiveness of sins. This will be to, to pay your debt. God forgives. God provides salvation. God delivers. And God promises to, to change us into what we were always designed to be. In this covenant, we become family, sons and daughters of God. But we also have obligations. So we come around the Lord's Supper table and, and we're reminded of the covenant that he's made at great cost to himself with us. And we remind ourselves again, it's our responsibility to turn from everything else and to trust in him, to follow him with our life. Because he is our Lord, we're willing to obey whatever you say. We offer this heart, O oh God, completely to you. Our soul, Lord, is completely surrendered to you. That's what we say as we remember the Lord's death and resurrection. When we aren't keeping covenant, any future generation is in jeopardy of picking up a false story of a very small God that really never meant much to us to begin with. But when we take a God who means everything to us and we live our lives keeping covenant, 
and faithful, faithfulness to him, we're saying this matters. Passing the faith on also, though, as I read through this psalm, it's not just about keeping covenant. It, you also see kind of the check engine light comes on. When we begin to test God, you see, when testing God becomes common, passing the faith on is jeopardized. I read in this passage, so I, I was reading through Psalm 78 again and again and again, and what kind of stood out to me were a couple times, I think three times in this psalm, the phrase, they tested God, came up. And it just, it, it struck me because I think, I don't, I don't think, surely I don't do that much. And surely the, the, the fine people that are here today, surely we don't, we don't test God. That was like something they did, shame on them. But, but do, can we think of it this past week? Any place where we tested God any, any, anywhere in the past month? And so maybe that's a little bit harder for us to think about when we think of like, okay, what does it mean to test God? I mean, that's an important quest, question to answer because certainly these people seem to be doing that and it seemed to really shipwreck their faith. A test is basically this. A test is something you do to try to prove something or someone. As it's used in the Old Testament, the word test is when you attempt to learn the true nature of something or someone. So we want to find out the true nature of it. What is this really all about? So there are tests that are like pretty much positive. So there's just mere formality, right? You got to take this test, but it's really easy. You're going to pass. It'll be fine. Everything's okay. It's just really, we just got to do it to fill out the paperwork, but you're fine. It's all good. Then there are tests that are neutral. They're just trying to, trying to determine do you have the skills? Do you have the qualities? Do you have the education, the knowledge? If you're going to be certified in this or recognized as that, you've got to pass this test. But then there are other tests. There are tests that are just meant to show, yeah, you don't measure up. It, it's meant to prove, yeah, you never really belonged here anyway. And when I read about the test, that the people did, the test that they put God to, I think that's much more where they're coming from. They don't believe God. They don't believe his power. So they put him to the test. And in their mind, in their heart, they're testing God to prove, yeah, I knew there was a deficit there. They have settled conclusions about the goodness of God or maybe the lack of goodness of God. And they're going to go, see, God didn't deliver so, so here's, here's one of the scenarios where they put God to, de, to the test in, in Psalm 78. It says in verse 16, it says, He made streams come out of the rock and caused waters to flow down like rivers. And they sinned still more against him, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. They tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God saying, can God spread a table in the wilderness? He struck the rock so that water gushed out and streams overflowed. But can he also give bread or provide meat for his people? This test to me seems like to be this, this test, the test of God, I know you did this, but I want something else. I actually want something more. They tested God by saying, yeah, you, you, you provide us water, but that's great and all. I, we need food. I want something else. And I want the food that, that I crave are you, are, you going to, are you going to take care of us, God? Are you going to do it? Are you going to give me what I want? So they designed a test 
And then it's as if they give God a failing grade. You don't pass the test, God, because you didn't give me what I wanted. It almost sounds childish, doesn't it? Sounds like a kid that gets a Christmas present and gives their parent a, a failing grade because they didn't get the exact present they wanted. Do we hold things against God because of all that he's given us? Yeah, I'd really, I want something else. I want more. This is convicting because I look around at the life that God's given me, the blessings he's poured out on my life. Could I be in danger of testing God going, oh, that's great and all. Yeah, but I want this. Why haven't you done this? Why haven't you done that? This is what I really want. I see God at work giving, giving me grace, but in my soul, what if I'm perpetually discontent? Saying I want something else. You, you begin to think about your, your relationships. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm glad I got friends, but that, that person's not my friend. That person never really cares when I talk to them. Or you think of, of the, the thing that provides for you to, to live and to eat. Yeah, that's great, I guess, but uh, I want something else. I want something different. I want something more. And in that moment, could we be in danger of assuming some things about God, like, ah, God, you're really not giving me what's best. Because God, I kind of know what's best for me. And you're not really giving it to me. Could we be assuming that somehow we're on the bad list or maybe he isn't that wise? When, when, when think about it, God's wisdom, God's infinite wisdom is knows exactly what we need, exactly what we need. He always knows the, the best ways to achieve the best ends. He always knows this. And yet in my heart, could I not be in danger of going, ah, but on this case, I don't know that you're giving me the best. I think I'm getting leftovers, getting the, being neglected, not getting your best. Do we test God? Do we test God like it says in Psalm 78 and verse 40, it says, how often, how often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. It says in verse 41, they tested God again and again. They provoked the Holy One of Israel. They didn't remember his power. It's almost like that test is not so much a, like I, I, I want something else. It's almost like that test is, what have you done for me lately? Yeah, I mean, I, there was the, the pillar of fire that led us and the cloud and yeah, there was the, the manna and daily bread and new mercies every morning. And yeah, there's your green pastures and there's the still waters that you lead me by all the time. But today didn't go that well. I'm a little, I'm a little frustrated with right now. Yeah, I can look back on decades, but the last week hasn't been my favorite. What have you done for me lately? Yeah, I see victories and help and blessings and guidance. Then we have to remember, like, God doesn't just operate in, like, his time frame isn't just a day or even a week or a month, but it's eternity. As he's working out his plan, it's not just like, what would make me feel really, really good or make me really, really happy in a week? It's actually an eternity that God is managing. Imagine how complicated it is for billions of people to guide, provide, lead, redeem all of them. And God does this, and it's not complicated for him. But yet, how, how often do I question, like, ah, that doesn't, like, I, I, I want this to go right today. 
Do we, do we test God? Do we test God by pursuing whatever we want to pursue? I, I read this. It's, it says in verse 56, they, they tested and rebelled against... I mean, it's over and over again, isn't it? Verse 56, they tested and rebelled against the Most High God. They didn't keep his testimonies. They turned away. And this is what Scripture says. They acted treacherously. They were twisted like a deceitful bow. They provoked God to anger with their high places. They moved him to jealousy with their idols. You know, that, that test is a little bit different than even the first two. That test is like, I'm going to do things the way I want to do them. God, and I'll just take my chances. Because I want to do things the way I want to do them. I have the right to live my life the way I want to live it. And nobody, not even God, is going to tell me. And I'll take my chances with it. I mean, God's spoken But God, I'm going to put you to the test. And as I assess your true nature, I'm going to give you a failing grade because you're giving me commands I don't want to obey and warnings I don't want to listen to and guidance I don't want to follow. So you've given clear instruction on what your design is for a sexual relationship, and that is husband and wife exclusively. Yeah, but God, I, I I, I think I may know better than you on this. I'm... Frankly, I'm going to do what I want to do. Or or you've told me to be trusting toward you to provide what I need. To not lay up treasures on earth, but to lay up treasures in heaven. But God, I I like stuff. I'm I'm going to live my life happy. I'm going to please myself. And you can't tell me what to do. And I'll take my chances. Testing God. Or, or, Lord, I know you've said that I should forgive and not hold bitterness in my heart. Frankly, God, I don't want to because I've been hurt too deep. I I will not let this go. I'll just take my chances. I'm going to do things my own way. I have a right. Do we test God? Would Would we really choose to turn down the volume on the one who has complete understanding and say, yeah, but there's this way that seems right to me right now. Would we really turn down the volume of the one speaking who understands this broken world that we live in, who understands completely how this world should operate, how you should operate? He, he designed your life. He, he knows. Would we really say, thanks, but no thanks. I think I'll take my chances on doing things my own way. Or will we listen to the one who can tell us how to live in a broken, fallen, rebellious world? You see, there's, there's these check engine lights that come on that if we're not careful, we will have nothing to pass on. Yet what I'm so grateful for is Psalm 78 tells us, 72 verses worth, telling us of this amazing God, who that even when God's people rebelled, and we read a lot of those verses, he still had mercy. As a matter of fact, verse 38 of the Psalm says, he was compassionate. He atoned for their iniquity. He didn't destroy him. He restrained his anger often and he remembered that they were flesh. So it's like this amazing story of warnings and judgment, but also grace and mercy. And it all culminates in the last few verses in in Psalm 78 and verse 70. It says, he chose David. So this is the way God decided to show mercy. He chose David, his servant, took him from the sheepfolds and from following the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. And, and look what it says about this man, David, 
the shepherd king David. With upright heart, he shepherded him and guided them with a skillful hand. And I think that's the story of Israel. But there's something embedded in that story that reminds me of my own story. And that is despite my wandering, despite my rebellion, despite my, my resistance toward God, despite the times I test God instead of trust him, the, the, despite the times I break covenant instead of keeping covenant, the Lord has been merciful to me. And he didn't just send David, the shepherd king, but he sent a son of David, a descendant of David. That's the perfect shepherd, the good shepherd, the great shepherd. And he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, who kept covenant perfectly, who trusted God and never tested him. And he lived the life we should have lived. And then he died the death that we should have died. And he offers us mercy and grace. For us, Jesus is the one who mediates this new covenant. Today could be, today could be the day of covenant renewal. Today as we come around bread that has been broken to remind us of our, our Savior's body. As we come around the cup that reminds us of Christ's blood shed. We could renew our own covenant with the Lord. For a few moments, can I ask you to bow your head and I'll ask the deacons to prepare to serve us. But if you have come to a place where you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, today you're invited to come to the table. Remember the Lord's death for you. And if that's not where you are right now, then feel free to pass that plate. It's not a problem at all. It's... It's we're remembering and as the deacons distribute the bread and the juice. Maybe you take time to read all of Psalm 78. That'd be a great, great use of the time. Or maybe you sing along the song that'll take us back to the love that Christ has for us. But either way, use this time in reflection on who the Lord is and what he's done. We've remembered what the Lord has done for us. I pray that we go from this place remembering and living out the obligations we have because of the covenant he's made with us trusting him instead of testing him Chris could you close us in prayer will you pray with me Father we thank you for what you've done for us God as we hear this passage we we want to say it's, it, it's talking about somebody else, but too often we can see ourselves reflecting in the words. God, I pray as, as we read the words of Psalm 51 to say, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Father, for those who have come, and this is just a routine, this is just what we do, but we sort of get into this rut of just going through the motions. God, allow us to, to cling to the truths that, you, that were shared this morning. We pray that we would cling to the truths of what you've done in our lives. God, I pray for those who are here who have no idea what I'm talking about. I pray that they'll be able to to talk with someone here this morning. They can help answer some of those questions. They can help start to point uh, in a direction toward you. God, I pray for those who who are here for the 500th time. Uh, God, that that we can easily fall into these ruts. That God, give us a desire to, to see what you've done for us afresh. Father, bless us this afternoon. Bless our time as we fellowship here. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.